The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where they shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. First, I want to take a moment to commemorate the men and women who have given their lives to preserve our freedom. I also want to commemorate those who did not perish in conflict, but who spent a lifetime devoted to the same pursuit. We salute you. Tonight's special guest is Jay Whitener, Life After Death, Ancient Texts, and The Vril. Believe me when I tell you that this is one of those shows you may have to listen to multiple times in order to absorb everything. This show is almost three hours long. I want to thank Cliff High, who referred me to Jay Whitener. It was a great choice. And speaking of Cliff High, many of you have contacted me saying that Cliff has just issued a new Shape of Things to Come report. Apparently, the information contained could not wait. So this report came out all of a sudden. So I encourage you to support Cliff and purchase this report. Traditionally, we do a show with Cliff when a new report comes out. And although 
Cleve would love to. He is going through some personal matters that will prevent him from doing any interviews at this time, perhaps for the rest of the year. Let's send Cliff and his family some positive thoughts. Cliff is an integral part of the Veritas family. So if you need anything, Cliff, all you need to do is ask. And if you want to listen to the entire show and want a free subscription, we need help transcribing shows. If you are ready and fully capable to transcribe a show, visit the free subscription link on our website. There are only three days left for the special offer. You have until May the 31st to participate, and I will give you a six-month subscription. After May the 31st, it goes back to three months, so don't wait. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. You'll receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows that's 78 to date and a few voice chats, the Manticore Forum, and the Veritas chat room. Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe, and take Veritas with you. And I want to congratulate our very first winner of the This Space Up for Auction campaign. You can see the winner right on our website. The winner will receive 30 days of advertising on our main page. And the auction for the other spot is now underway on eBay. So if you didn't win on the first one, here's your chance to win now. The auction started today and will end on Monday, June the 7th. Don't wait. Bid now. Next week's special guest is Dr. Joseph Farrell, followed by James Gilliland and Jim Mars. Great shows coming your way. For updates and more news, visit our website and our forum. That's where the real discussion is taking place. Remember, my interaction with you does not end with the show. It only begins. And now, get ready to open new mental doors you never thought existed. Is there life after death? What do the ancient texts say and what's being hidden from us in many ways? Did the Nazis really lose the war or are they still active and involved in something unimaginable? Find out who really rules the planet and what their final plan is. If you want to continue living the illusion programmed by the rulers, Stop this audio now. If you want to know the truth, don't go anywhere. Jay Whitener is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. music you hear right here on the very test show is supplied by the independent artists from jamendo.com if you hear a song you like go over to our homepage veritasshow.com click on the guest look up the song and download it you can even buy the group's cds in many cases right there at jamendo.com Hoagland, and you are listening to Veritas. Jay Whitener, author, filmmaker, co-author of numerous works, and has produced and directed documentary films 2012, The Odyssey, Secrets of Alchemy, Earth, 
Under Fire, and many others. Since 2000, Jay Whitener has been the president of Sacred Mysteries Productions, a company dedicated to producing high-quality films that challenge perceptions and help understand the nature of reality. His most recent work, a documentary film entitled Infinity, The Ultimate Trip, Journey Beyond Death. And directly from Oregon, I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Jay Whitener. Hello, Mr. Whitener, and thank you for being on Veritas. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Very well. Thank you. And may I call you Jay? Yes. No problem. Thank you. You know, Jay, after Cliff High's last appearance on this show, he said you have to have Jay Whitener on your show. So I'm glad we got it done. Uh, what a great lineup. We had uh, Cliff High, Richard C. Hoagland. Now we have you. Next week, we have Joseph Farrell. Wow. So if anyone wants to connect the dots, these are the people to listen to, don't you think? Uh, I would say that's a, a fairly dynamic lineup, yes. Some of my favorite people, yes. Absolutely. As we always do on this show, Jay, give us some background of yourself and how you got to research all these fascinating topics. Well, let's see. I give you my regular spiel, which is um, I was a... Uh, I was a, 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 a materialist, a, scien a scientist, a, a journalist, and uh, atheist, pretty much thought that the world could be saved by science and technology, and uh, didn't believe in anything outside of what I could see in my and hold in my hands. And uh, in 1986, uh, I'm also an avid book collector, I went to a garage sale, and I purchased 20 books for $20 hardcover, esoteric books, uh, which I still own all of them. And one of the books I pr purchased was a book called Mystery of the Cathedrals by a gentleman with one name, Fulcanelli. And I thought it was about uh, architecture, actually, and I love Gothic cathedral architecture, so I took it home, and it was the first book I decided to read. And I sat down, and uh, thinking I'm a pretty smart guy, began reading the book, and um, I couldn't understand what I was reading. And I couldn't believe it. And so I went back and I started it over again. And after about 10 or 11 times of reading the book, I, it finally began to sink in. And what the guy was saying, this mysterious guy named Falconelli, was that the Gothic cathedrals in Europe, of which there is about 500 of them made between 1100 and 1300, um, were built by alchemists. And that alchemy is an ancient science which comes from at least ancient Egypt, if not earlier, and that, uh, that the, there is a different kind of science in alchemy uh, than the science that we know, and it's a science of transmutation. And uh, another thing that I discovered while reading the book was that <clears throat> he has a curious habit of italicizing some words in the text so I decided to investigate every word that he italicized, of which there's about 700. And uh, uh, about 14 years later, I printed my first book, uh, Monument to the End of Time, with Vincent Bridges. And then uh, four years later, the follow-up, Mysteries of the Great Cross of Hende, Alchemy at the End of Time. And uh, all of it is a direct result of my finding this book, to which I now believe the book was written on purpose by Fulcanelli, who is definitely a member, a high-ranking member of some kind of secret society. And the whole intention of the book is to initiate the reader. 
of course, only the reader who persists. And uh, so I was initiated into a advanced form of science by this book and uh, the subsequent researching of all the italicized words in the book. And that's where I got how, how I got here today, where I'm uh, uh, anything but like I was. I'm not a materialist anymore. I realize the world is much different than I was taught in college. And, uh, and so here I am, a completely changed man because of one book. It's interesting how we all go through transformations. But the title of this episode is Life After Death, Ancient Texts, and the Vril. So we'll be discussing a vast area of knowledge. Jay, to start, the topic of life after death is something that many people can't wrap their minds around. Recently, I had uh, Dr. Rauni Kilde, former chief medical officer from Finland, on the show, and she wrote a book called There Is No Death. In essence, our body is like a car. Our car breaks down, you open the door, and you get into another car, or you are in a room and simply move to another room. Do you subscribe to that point of view? Yeah, the uh, one of the things about alchemy that's uh, interesting about it is that it teaches about higher dimensions. And when you begin to understand higher dimensions, uh, you can see that the body or this third dimension that we live in is really just a, a, a small part of a larger underlying infrastructure of interdimensions. And uh, so we are... The, the body is just the center part of a, of a complex toroidal vortex and the, and which surrounds our body. And uh, just the very, very, very center of the vortex uh, uh, is where the body is located. And 90% of the higher dimensional field that, it, that lies around the body is outside the body. So the body is just a very small part uh, that solidifies uh, when this uh, donut-shaped field begins coagulating towards the center. And when you realize this and you see it and you understand that all life is driven by this uh, fifth-dimensional uh, verticular toroidal source, then you realize uh, and all planets and stars and suns and are also possess, or most of them do, possess this field, then you begin to realize that you are eternal and you are infinite and I am infinite and everything is infinite and it just manifests as as a, as a solid object for a brief period of time and when it lifts off the uh, when it lifts off the surface of the earth which it does at death it travels up a, a long tube which the uh, Sanskrit uh, text called the Shashumna and this tube is about four uh, hundred. 400 millionth of the width of a human hair. And this is the thing that attaches uh, you to the super higher dimensional source around the Earth. So the Earth has this donut-shaped field, and little tornadoes, like are what these shishunas are, they're little tornadoes of, of this particular energy come down from the higher dimensional field, and when the tip of this tornado touches the surface of the earth, it creates life. And uh, we are particularly gifted as human beings because we have a spine which sits 
vertically or 90 degrees to the surface of the Earth. And this creates a, an attenuation between the higher dimensional field and our higher dimensional fields in which the communication is not obstructed by any bends in the, in the, in the, in the tornado Shashumna vortex. So human beings are directly connected by virtue of standing upright. Uh, the miracle of standing upright has caused us to attenuate to a larger uh, imaginary field, you might say, where everything is infinite. And this is what dreams are, and this is what... Uh, meditation, what happens in meditation, when you quiet the body down, you're uh, able to travel up into these higher fields. It's what happens at death when you see the tunnel. The tunnel is this shashumna as your body and the, and, and the higher dimension, as your body disappears and the higher dimensional field folds in on itself and travels back up the shashumna towards the higher dimensional field that surrounds the earth. And uh, and when the Earth dies, its higher dimensional field will fold up and move into the Sun's higher dimensional field. And when the Sun dies, it will move into the galaxy's higher dimensional field. And you can even see, and this this also explains uh, why when they measure galaxies, they're always about 90% uh, more matter in the galaxy than they can see. And it's not really dark matter. They're misunderstanding what they're really seeing when they when they gaze out and, and see a galaxy, and all they see is the thin uh, thin surface of stars at the at the center plane of this higher dimensional field. Uh, that's what they're measuring, and what dark matter is is the rest of the field that they that it cannot be seen but can be measured electromagnetically. And so when they do these these tests and they come out with this and they have to resort to um, exotic theories like dark matter, it's 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 really a misunderstanding of of this higher dimensional field, which is my main problem with materialist science is that even though they admit that there's higher dimensions, they don't seem to understand how dimensions interact, and that baffles me because I understand it, and I would think that they would understand it, but they don't seem to, and they certainly don't put it into any of their theories. So I don't buy the super string theory. I don't buy the dark matter theories. I think that the world is built of not solid matter, but fluctuating energy vortices which can interact with each other um, and but also be individuated and so we are we are like a gigantic fractal where you keep falling deeper and deeper into the fractal and each spiral is a reflection of the larger spiral from which it is part of and that is the best explanation of uh, the universe that I've ever heard of, and so I wear it like an old pair of jeans. It's very comfortable and and uh, makes me feel better about everything, and, and helps me uh, be compassionate towards life and all living things, and uh, gives me a, a deep sense. And I think most people who understand this also have that deep sense of of reverence for for life, because we can understand that we're all part of this incredible matrix of, of, of vortices and life and energy and 
And when you have that, then you're when you see that, you're no longer afraid of dying, which has a great consequence because then you're no longer afraid of living. And when you're no longer afraid of living, then no one can tell you what to do. And so when I made Infinity the Ultimate Trip, I did I had a twofold reason for making the film. The first was for people to show to people that are on their way to passing over or for people who are interested in what happens when they pass over. And then the second reason, which is a more subversive reason, is to try to make people understand that there's nothing to fear, that the only thing to fear in this world is death. And when you know there is no death, then you know there's nothing to fear. And when we finally get come to grips with this idea that there's nothing to fear, then the elites and the people that rule this world are going to be uh, bereft of uh, ways to push us into doing what they want. And so I'm, I'm a big fan these days of the word no, and I think that we need to start saying no to them uh, and, and mean it, and we need to say no, we're not going to send our children to fight in your wars, and no, we're not going to eat your toxic food, and no, we don't want your toxic air and your oil spills and and all of that. And when we reach that point where we just take a Gandhi-like stance and say, nope, we're done with all of that, and we begin building a parallel society, you know, right next to this society, one that's built on these higher dimensional understandings, then we can, at that point, um, free, be free of the rule of uh, whatever they are, the reptiles, the Aryans, the elite, the whatever you want to call them. And so that's, that's really the main reason. I think this is the big fight that uh, we've all been wondering about since the 60s. I think that the big fight is now on now. And we can, if we go head-to-head against these guys, they're going to cream us. So we have to be smart here, and we have to understand that that we can't fight them head-to-head. We have to fight them in subtle ways. We have to do the unexpected. And so using their own weapons against them is something I'm in deep favor of. So I make movies using their equipment that they invented. And, you know, you do a radio show using the equipment and the Internet that they invented. And I think that's the best way to do it, to use the their own power and strength against them. I call it Aikidoing the moment. In every moment, you have to Aikido the forces that are trying to destroy this world. And I think that this now, we've now, since 2010 began, I think we are now finally in the big fight, in the big struggle. And uh, I think we're going to win. So, well, let's say, um, uh, you're an optimist, absolutely. As you say, it, it seems that the most negative emotion that rules and holds many people's lives creates disease, etc., is fear. Those in control just love to instill fear because that is how they control us. How can we apply what President Roosevelt said in 1932, quote, the only thing to fear is fear itself? How many times do we turn on the TV or the radio and all we hear is, run to the hills? As you say, quote, every day they are cooking a different basket of fear. Global warming, the economy, war with Iran, food shortages, terrorism. It is a grotesque manipulation to use our primal emotions like fear and use them against us. We can be aware of all these things, but not live in fear, unquote. Jay, if we started ignoring their intent, which is to cause fear, what would that do 
to the power structure? Well, it would disappear. Uh, they, they, they actually are, are, are in serious uh, dire straits at the moment because they're, they're, they're in running into a problem here, which I call the fear fatigue factor, FFF. And we have been under such duress for so long that we're becoming numb to their fear-mongering. And uh, that's why you see a lot of people looking very uh, uh, catatonic almost these days. Zombified. Uh, Zombified, because they've been under such fear that there's nothing there left. But for those of us who are aware, uh, they're really worried about us. And, uh, you know, this, this time that we're in right now is may not last very long. These, these renaissances of openness, they come and they go, and mostly they go. So we have to take the moment that has been given to us, which is right now, and, excuse me, and, and use it to spread this, this, this word that, that, that we're not going to be, um, uh, you know, coddled into fear. And, and we, we don't, and, but, but this takes, a, this means that we have a certain amount of risk now, whereas before we were living in a world of fear, we were also living in a world of of little risk because we were letting them take all the risks for us. But now, if we're going to choose to be courageous warriors, uh, spiritual warriors, we must uh, also realize that uh, this is a double-edged sword, where one side of the sword is freedom the other side of the of the sword is responsibility and with that responsibility is a lot of risk so we have to learn to take risks we have to uh realize that there's since there's nothing to be afraid of that we can face the beast and maybe possibly strike the beast down and uh that's that's a hard thing to tell people because most people don't want to turn around and face this monster that they've been told is you know, 70 stories high with 7 million teeth and, and loves to gash you and, 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 and eat you alive, I, I can tell you, I've turned around and I've seen the beast. The beast is just a little kitty cat, and uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's all bark and no bite, and, and we need to realize that uh, we need to realize that we're fighting absolutely nothing, just illusions. But these illusions can kill us because we believe in them so much. So, you know, this thing in the, in the Gulf uh, that's going on right now, you know, the, the potential is there to destroy all life on Earth, actually. And uh, we don't know what, what, what they were doing there. We know that they were drilling a, a very deep well, one of the deepest wells ever. And uh, we don't know what kind of... Uh, uh, how much oil is down there, how much pressure it's under. Uh, this thing could keep pouring out for years. So we need to realize that the, this kind of thing has got to come to an end. And it's got to come to an end, you know, not next year or five years. It's got to come to an end now. And with that, of course, means that we're going to lose, you know, our ability to travel around in cars and all the commensurate things that happen when you decide to take a risk, like saying that we'd rather have a living planet than a dead planet. And so things like Jim, James Cameron's avatar are, are showing us that the collective unconscious is yearning for something completely different than what it had. 
And uh, so I think we're in for a very, very, very uh, freewheeling time from here on in. And I, and I really believe that we are going to win. Uh, but not in this in the short term. In the short term, they're going to try to do everything they can to shut us down, to make us afraid, and uh, we can't let them do that. And we have to fight this battle in a in a different way. We have to do the unexpected. They expect us to get angry. They expect us to slam the door on them when they come to our house. They expect us to go grab a gun. They expect us to do all sorts of things. And we can't do that. We have to do it completely different. They're, they're, they're doing everything from their reptilian brain, and we have to decide to not let the reptilian brain rule us. And that's the goal that, and, and the, you know, the incredible uh, thing that we have to do now. And uh, it's not going to be easy. And that's exactly what they want. They want violence from us. They do. And uh, speaking of James Cameron and Avatar, I've had conversations with people, and I asked them, who do you think was the more evolved civilization, the Navi or the others? And most people say the others, when they don't <laughs> see that spirituality and non-materialism is what makes you evolve more. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I would, I would argue exactly the opposite from science. I think that technology has atrophied our natural abilities. And, uh, you know, the, the people in the past had possessed incredible abilities that we just do not have anymore, including being able to keep warm when it's 20 degrees out with no clothing and no fire. Um, we have all sorts of abilities, and technology has atrophied them, and that's all part of the plan, too. They, they wanted us to lose our abilities and uh, uh, so that we would not be a threat to them. And uh, they have almost succeeded. Now, there is an enlightenment on right now and has been going on from the 60s on for people to try to go back to, you know, the things that uh, would uh, reverse this, uh, this atrophying, like, uh, like, you know, Kung Fu and Qigong and Zen meditation and, and eating right and, uh, and all these things. Uh, and so that's that, and as a result of those things, there is a small segment of people, probably all listening to this show, who are enlightened, but we're a small group. But don't despair, because even a very, very small group can have a radical effect. Only 1% of the people in 1776... Yeah, they were for a revolution. Only 1%, but they had a revolution and it succeeded. So we can win. Um, if we can build this up to, say, 10% of the population of the United States, um, we will overwhelm the system. And uh, that's what we really have to do. You know, we must live as if the apocalypse has already occurred as Terence McKenna used to say. And, and that's really exactly right. We have to live in the world that's coming now. We have to shift, and we can't, we can't wait. If you're waiting, if you're waiting for something to happen, if you're waiting for someone to tell you what to do, um, you're going to fail miserably. So you need to act now, and you have to, and you have to take the wor uh, responsibility for the world into your own hands because... This world is collapsing very fast. The stock market today dropped a 1,000 points. 
Yeah, and it hit exactly on the day that my buddy Cliff High said it would happen. And um, so he hit it right on. And I would say it's going to, you know, fall even further. They're probably trying to shore it up right now. But this whole funny money, illusionary economy, it's all going away. And you better prepare now. You better start growing your own food. You better start taking care of business, taking care of your families and your communities, because it's going to be here. And it's up to us to lead the way. It's a self-selected group of people that's going to lead the way. It's not going to be elected by a, a body of people. It's not going to be handed down from Obama. It's We're going to make the decisions ourselves on what we are going to do and how we're going to live. And those are pretty simple uh, solutions to the problems. And, and the, you know, it, it's it's basic. And we don't have to get into exotic things and and high technology and things. We can just decide on a few basic things and then go for it. And we're reaching, we're, the camera is getting focused. It's been out of focus for a long time, but slowly the picture is coming into focus and we're seeing reality as it really is. Uh, and the illusions are beginning to disappear. And this is all part of this whole 2012 thing. As we approach 2012 and get closer, it's going to become more and more obvious what an illusion this whole thing really is. And then we are going to be liberated from the illusion. And that really is the goal, I think. And just to expand on what uh, Jay was saying, the stock market uh, today, it did fall 1,000 points at one given moment, and then it recovered. And it's supposedly because a trader pressed the B button as opposed to the M button, which means he sold 16 billion shares of Procter & Gamble as opposed to what he intended to do, which was to sell 16 million shares. But this is not something new, Jay, uh, fear. For thousands of years, civilizations have used fear in order to control their population. If this is a multi-century cancer, how can we eradicate it now? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, except by speaking the truth and uh, taking action. I, I really don't know what else to say. You know, everything that we think has been foisted on us by them. So we're not even sure what we think. I hate to say that, but we don't. We don't know really what's going on. We only think we know what's going on. And I think that this idea of, of uh, you know, we're so sure of what's happening uh, is going away. And, 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 and this and, and being replaced by an un sure attitude. And I think the unsure attitude is a healthier attitude. I think this idea that you know exactly what's going to happen next week, you know, you're going to go to the baseball game on Tuesday, or you're going to watch the uh, ballet on Friday night or whatever, this, this, this illusion of time and, and, and space is going to disappear and we're going to be living in a world that lives in the moment. And when that happens, the, you know, this, this cancerous thing will just disappear. Like all cancers do disappear. They eat themselves alive, and uh, this is going to eat itself alive. Uh, but I have no doubt they're going to pull many, many fear cards before it finally collapses. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to attack Iran, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to continue deep oil drilling and a lot of crazy things. And we're going to see a lot more shifts and changes 
the earth is alive and, and the earth has intelligence and uh the earth is only going to take a certain amount of this before she decides to do something and uh so I mean, eventually the cards may not even be left to us to play uh and uh again you know cameron talks about that also in the film and uh, you just have to wonder what uh what uh, what what he he is cameron is hooked in to the the collective consciousness of the people of the earth and uh, he has been for a long time and i think that he has just blown a hole in the body spiritus of the earth with uh, avatar and he show has shown us the way and he's shown us who we are and he showed uh, and he's shown us what we can be and let's hope he continues it with the sequel. Um, I think he will. And I knew that uh, Avatar would be the biggest hit of all time, you know, three days after it opened when I saw it. I just knew it. I said, this is going to be the biggest hit. This is, he, he's exposed us uh, completely. There's a line in Avatar which I think says it all, and it's the uh, general, or whatever he is, Papa Dragon, which I thought was ingenious, and uh, he says, we're going to blow a crater in their racial memory so deep that they're not going to get within a hundred clicks of this place for the rest of time. Okay? So he, he knows, the, the Cameron with that line knows exactly what they are doing. And they are blowing a hole in our racial memory. And they're doing it on purpose, just like they did it in the movie on purpose. They are destroying our past. They're destroying the things that are important to us, nature mostly, to prevent us from ever being able to achieve what we can be. And that is criminal. And uh, uh, we have to rise up and say, no, we're not going to let this happen. We are incredible creatures. And uh, we have been living on this earth for 100,000, 200,000, if the Hindus are right, a million years. And this this idea uh, that, that has been foisted on us of civilization, it's only been around for 6,000 years. So most of the time that we have been homo sapiens on earth has been living like the Navi, not like the, the humans in, in the movie. So this this is really important. And, and civilization is just a brief little part of the human experience. And civilization is going away. It is disappearing right now, right under in front of our eyes. That's what's really going on. We are going back to hunter-gatherer. And most people will laugh and they'll say, that's ridiculous, we're going to build spaceships and travel out into the universe. No, we're not. We're not. We're going back. Civilization is over. It was a very, very rough, ugly experience here on Earth. And it is disappearing now because the people who foisted that civilization on us are leaving, which is another whole story. And, of course, and we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes, but history is written by the winners. And right now, we don't seem to remember. And a lot of times we think of mythology as that, as mythology. But we have to demythologize history sometimes. But our show motto is be skeptical, but don't close your mind, Jay. For the skeptics, how can we provide some evidence that indeed there is life after death? 
Well, uh, you know, there is there is the evidence of, of, of understanding higher dimensional state spaces and realizing that they're infinite. Uh, but since most people don't uh, understand that, and uh, then you know you have to resort to other things. I mean, like near-death experiences and people recalling past lives, which is what we did in the movie. Right. Uh, and, and so you know, it's kind of a kind of a mundane way to go about it, but people are mundane for the most part, and they accept, you know, somebody's story. But, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, do you think it's, you think it's fair that you just come here one time with one shot? Uh, you know, is the universe really work that way? And the answer is no, it actually doesn't. I mean, uh, you know, trees propagate, forests propagate, animals propagate, and it's all part of it, this huge continuum. Uh, and, and it's a very deeply spiritual point of view, which, of course, the uh, progenitors of fear have, have tried to wipe out. So I think, you know, if you don't believe there's life after death, get the movie Infinity and watch it and and ask yourself questions. But if, you know, uh, but if you're a hardcore person who doesn't believe in any of this and thinks it's all balderdash, then I suggest that you uh, begin reading an awful lot of books and uh, experiencing things for yourself and maybe even try to induce a few shamanic experiences in yourself and you will understand that you're part of a huge thing and you've been sold a bill of goods essentially you've been sold a lie and it is a lie it is all a lie actually there's very little of what they have told us which is the truth and they know it it's not like they're making a mistake that you know they know that if they destroy the ancient belief systems and of reincarnation and life after death and and the propagation of life beyond consciousness uh that we will not do what they want us to do which is be their slaves and uh so it's, there's these are just slave mechanisms and all the world's religions are slave mechanisms i mean i hate to say that but but they are and they're essentially just trying – the problem with, with, with having big empires is that you can't have standing armies everywhere. So the Romans, who were really the first world empire, you know, they, they realized that it was impossible to have standing armies in Bavaria and England and Greece and Jerusalem and in Africa and all over the place. So they created a religion um, that would enforce the fear without armies. And so that's what happened. And, and, and so religions are actually uh, inventions of these guys to try to keep us constantly in a world of fear, fearing death, fearing judgment, a, some kind of judgment, you know, that's going to happen. You're going to sit and some being is going to judge you on, based on, you know, circumstances of your own slavery. And it's ridiculous. And we have to shed all of these notions, all of them. And that's really hard. That's what the Buddha was trying to say when he said you have to, you know, sit in meditation until you realize that the whole entire thing is an illusion. 
And when you get to that point and you realize that it's an illusion, then, you know, the first thing you should do is break out laughing because it's hilarious. And then the second thing you know you can do is start living in a, in a world that is not illusory. And that is the thing that we are facing now, which is going to be really difficult for most people because they've lived their lives in, in this comfortable illusion, and that illusion is coming to an end. And it's going to come to an end really fast. It's It's already coming faster than I would have ever predicted, but it's going to be here really soon, and it's going to be very, very real. And it's and, and when that happens, a lot of people are going to completely crack up. And you have a great cast, if you will, who's who on that uh, new DVD. Uh, one of them is Dr. Brian Weiss, who was the one who woke me up in the 1980s when I read his first book of Many Lives, Many Masters. Oh, yeah. This is something I get from people all over the world. Yes, I accept that I really don't die, but what about my loved ones who are left behind? People mourn our passing and hope we're in a better place, but if the person who, quote-unquote, died didn't really die, imagine being able to see your loved ones but not being able to hug them, etc. How do you deal with that painful aspect of the process of the person who passed on, if you will? Well, I mean, it's again based. The whole idea is based on on a, a false premise. You you can your time is something that we invented, right. so that you could call me and 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 we could get on the radio at the same moment and talk, or we could take an airplane somewhere, or we could have a meal in a restaurant, or go on a date, or whatever. And and and, but it's not real. It's 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 not you know there really isn't a two o'clock there really isn't an eight o'clock there's dawn there's you know the darkest of night there's sunrise there's noon when the sun is directly above us those are real things but time itself is an illusion which we have concocted for civilization. Time was actually invented in Mesopotamia, you know, 6,000 years ago by King Sargon the Great, who invented clocks and calendars, and he did all that to create civilization so that everyone would be running on the same schedule. But, you know, every moment is, 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 is eternal. And so when you die and you are not going to see, say, your children, well, that's not true, because your children are always in the state spaces uh, of higher dimensions, even if they're here. So they're going to be there. Your grandmother and your children and your dog and everything is going to be there because they may still be here physically, but you are not really in the moment of your death when you die. That is just a moment. You are in eternal, eternity at that point, an infinite state space. And in that infinite state space, everything's possible. And, you know, and, and so there's nothing to fear, and, there's not, and, you're, and, and you're not going to have to wait for your children to die before you see them, or, or even your great-great-great-great-grandchildren, which won't even be born for 250 years. You don't, they will be there, because they're all there all the time, all the time. And everything is happening all the time, at once. It, life is just in the moment. There is no past. There's no future. There's just this moment. And in this moment, 
you and everybody is alive. And I know this sounds strange and odd, but it's the way that the ancients thought, and it's the way that we have to get back to. And the reason that we don't think that is because we've fallen for this illusion of time. And, uh, and I'm not saying that time isn't real, like there isn't moments and, and things. I'm saying that this the illusion of, 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 of setting up a schedule and, and, and moving through time, all that's going to change. That is very, very unnatural. And uh, animals don't have any idea of time and, because they're in a natural state. And we will be back to that very soon. Time as, as we know it will cease to exist is what we keep hearing. Now, speaking of religion, the Catholic Church believes in reincarnation, but they don't teach it as a doctrine. Is it because they believe we won't try really hard in this life and we'll just wait for our next reincarnation? Yeah, that's ostensibly why they say it. Um, but, I mean, I think there's probably a, maybe a darker reason behind it, which is that they don't want you to... Uh, realize your infinite nature but yeah the church the church has reincarnation as part of its doctrine but they also say that you shouldn't teach it and they say that's because the reason is because you won't try hard in this life uh and that maybe that's true i don't know i i i can't i can't see where someone would say well i'm not going to try in this life i'll just you know smoke dope and get drunk and and uh, have sex and uh, and wait till the next time. If if there are people like that, I don't think that the teachings of reincarnation would make any difference anyway. So you know, there's just a lot of lazy people who don't want to try. But I think the there's a more nefarious reason the church kind of quit teaching reincarnation, which is that it kept us in even more of a slave state and. Uh, And, I, you know, I, I was raised a Catholic. I don't have a lot of sympathy for the Catholic Church. So, uh, and I believe the Church is now going away. In fact, I have a sneaking suspicion that as the age of Aquarius begins, the Piscean religions will disappear completely. What do you foresee substituting them in the future? I don't think we want religions. Religions are just control mechanisms I, i think we what what our religion is is a it's a pantheistic religion uh, where nature is revered and worshiped the gnostics uh, were the second biggest religion on earth 2000 years ago if you go take a course in religion in a college or a university as i did you will never even hear about the Gnostics, let alone what it is they believed. Yet, they were not only the second, uh, Hinduism being the biggest, they were the second biggest religion on earth just 2,000 years ago. What is it that the Gnostics believed? And why were they wiped out? This is the two big questions that anyone who cares should be asking. And the Gnostics believed that the earth was ruled by a demiurge, a false god. And they made no bones about it. This false god was Jehovah. And he acted like a god, and he did things like a god, but in fact he was a fallible, probably a human. And they worshipped the earth. They, they worshipped her as Sophia. And we have a new uh, video out called Sophia Returning with 
John Lash, who is someone you probably want to interview, the Gnostic scholar living today, I believe, and and he and he shows how how the the Gnostics were completely destroyed. Um, the Library of Alexandria was a Gnostic institution, and uh, you know Hypatia was taken out by the Christian mobs and had her skin peeled off with uh, with seashells uh, because the Gnostics worship knowledge, which is what Gnostic means. And this is a complete variance to uh, faith-based religions, which you just believe in something because you were told it. The Gnostics would say, uh-uh, no way, dude. I'm not buying that one. I want to know what's going on. And so the Gnostics worshipped knowledge. And uh, they were incredible. The Greeks and were Gnostics, and, and the early Europeans were Gnostics, and and they're the ones who built a, a world worth living. It was when the Gnostics were supplanted by the um, Western religions uh, that this world took a plunge into darkness. And right now, you know, Christianity is beginning to fade out, it appears, and Islam is on the rise. And I'm here to tell you that the third variation of this disorder, um, which is Islam, will be the worst. So we need to really realize that this onrush of, uh, of Islam is probably very dangerous, and we really don't want that kind of mindset to invade any more than it has. Thinking of, of past lives, once again, people who had experiences uh, being regressed and so on, all of a sudden start speaking ancient language, Aramaic, as an example. They do, yeah. I can see how many may say, oh, they're imagining things, they're dreaming or making things up. But, but ancient languages, the question is always, why do we forget or why is there a disconnect? It's almost as if a computer hard drive was there full of information, but you need a special password to access the data. Isn't this proof that there are past lives when you can hear somebody speak an ancient language all of a sudden? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, when I was 15 years old, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was chained, in a, I was in a brick, an old brick-like dungeon, and I was chained to the wall. And a, a priest came in and asked me questions, of which I had no idea how to answer. And I was only 15 years old, and after about 15, 20 minutes of this kind of badgering of me as I was chained to the wall, he brought in a guy who had a, a weapon that was about on a pole, it was about six feet long, and it had a curved sickle-shaped blade on the end, about a foot and a half uh, wide. And he came up to me, and he uh, slashed me an X on my torso. And all of my um, insides, my viscera, dropped out onto the floor. And I actually saw, you know, my heart beating and, and, and blood pulsing through the, through the veins and things as I looked down and saw my viscera hanging out of me. And I woke up really disturbed by this dream and, and frightened by it. And, and for two or three months, I was spooked by it. And then years later, I'm in college, and I'm, I'm studying the Malthus Malachorium, which is a book on how to torture Inquisition people for the Catholic priests. And there on one of the pages was a description of the moon blade, which was a sickle-shaped uh, blade, looked like a quarter moon, uh, just like I saw, 
razor sharp, and they would eviscerate you with it. Mm -hmm. And there it was. So I had a dream of an historical reality of which I had no connection to. And how do you explain that? How do you explain the details and the dream and things? And it was pr it's pretty obvious. I was there. I was reliving a particularly bad moment in my one of my past lives. And uh, you know, and this happens a lot. I think a lot of the strangeness of dreams is remember there is not really there isn't any time. So a lot of the strangeness of dreams is your spirit moving back and forth between different lives and being confused by what it's saying and trying to manufacture kind of a modern thing around Reality. yeah and so you wake up and you say and you're all confused but if you could really sit back and examine your dreams you would see that what you're doing at night is you're going back and forth through different lives and different experiences and uh, the the better that you dream the closer you get to the truth. So what you want to do when you dream is kind of throw away the flotsam and jetsam of the of the modernity that you're putting into the dream to, to understand it. And just look at the dream for what it is. And I think you'll find that you're having past life experiences on a weekly basis, maybe. And it doesn't end there either, too, by the way. It's, it's the strange things that you're interested in and why you're interested in them, the books that you read, the, the things that you want to know about. This is all a result of a long evolutionary, spiritually evolutionary process. Uh, you know, as Brian Weiss says in Infinity, we, we're, we're all a diamond, but some of us have more crud on the diamond than others. <laughs> and we're just trying to wash the crud off. And so some of us have a pretty fairly pristine diamond, and some of us have a pretty cruddy diamond. And we have to understand that. We're all in different phases of this, of this realization. And, um, you know, it's a school. This is a, this is a spiritual school um, of which we need to kick out the headmasters. <laughs> so the question is, once you, your diamond is completely polished, what comes next? First of all, there's no recollection that we can remember past lives, we need to have an altered state or go into hypnotic regression. So what is the purpose once your diamond is completely polished? What comes next? Well, you move, you move to a, uh, what you're doing is, is, is once you understand everything about this reality, this particular three-dimensional reality, then you're freed from it. And then you move into a higher dimensional state space. And what you're doing is you're trying to move up the ladder of these dimensional space, state spaces. So when your diamond is all nice and clean in the third dimension, you graduate. And you graduate because we don't really live in a third dimension. I think we, I like to say we live in a in the three and a half dimension. We're, we're humans are caught between the third and the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension, of course, being time. And uh, the fifth dimension is where we're moving to. And the fifth dimension is um, uh, an infinite set of infinities, if you can understand that. And so, you know, in order to understand the third and the fourth dimension, once you understand the third and the fourth dimension clearly, then you get to get into the fifth dimension from which your diamond will be completely covered with mud again and you got to start all over. But the whole point is is that you're moving up 
through these dimensional state spaces until you are unified with the source. And that's what the Gnostics teach, that each one of us is a little tiny piece of light. And the whole point of the universe is to gather up all the light until it's unified again. And maybe it'll explode outward again and start all over. I don't know. And But the Gnostics teach that we're all trying to get back to the center, the center of, of all... Uh, of all thought and, and feeling, and uh, that's where we're moving. You know, some people call it God, some people call it Brahma. There's a million names for this thing, but it's not the demiurge. The demiurge is a false god. This is the real deal. This is the the source of consciousness and and everything, and 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 it responds to you. You know, I can actually lay out a scenario for all the people that are listening that think I'm completely out of my mind. I can actually lay out a scenario, a series of experiments that they can do. And if they do these experiments in exactly the way I tell them to do it, they will realize that I'm right. And, and, and basically what it is is you first have to come to understand, just imagine, even if you don't want to believe what I'm saying, that this is a dream. That this life that you're living right now, not when you're asleep, right now while you're awake, you're in a dream. And you want to lucidly dream. And if you've ever had a lucid dream, that's when you know that you're dreaming. And you can begin changing the state of your dream. I, I lucid dream probably once or twice a year, and it's always the most hilarious experience that I've ever been through because I'm... I know I'm dreaming, and you know I can change the billboard sign to say "Go Jay Go," <laughs> or I can, yeah, you know, and I laugh my ass off while I'm doing this because I've never—it's so much fun. But you can do that in this life, and I learned this from a billionaire. I asked a friend of mine who has 3.2 billion dollars what his secret was, and he told me that this is a dream. And I woke up when I was like 25 years old and decided that this—that I was going to make whatever dream I wanted. And maybe the dream he made isn't the dream that I would make, because I'm not really interested in having the responsibility of owning $3.2 billion. But I decided, after I talked to this guy, that I would try his experiment. And this was a many, few years ago now. I just decided that what I wanted to be was just a good filmmaker. I didn't want to be rich. I didn't want any of that. I just wanted, My goal was just, I just want to be a good filmmaker. And, and you I are. became a good filmmaker, yeah. And, 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 and with that uh, came commensurate money and things like that. But it was not, see, he made the mistake of saying, I want to be a billionaire. Okay, and so his dream came to be a billionaire, but he lost his children in the process. Mm. He's been married like four times, and you know what I mean. Sure. And and because he chose the wrong dream, he lucidly dreamed the wrong dream. So you have to be careful what kind of dream you want to dream, and. You know, you will get money and sex if that's what you want, no matter what. So forget those things. Those are base needs that, that will come and go. What you want to say, like, if instead of saying, say you're, you're living in, in, you're a poor person, and you want your children to not be so poor, and yourself not to be so poor, don't say, I want a lot of money. Say, I want my kids to be happy. Right. There's, that's the difference, you know, and, and we need to change the way that we're asking things. Again, we're asking for things based completely on the fear model. 
I've got to have money so that I can, you know, not be poor and, and have enough to eat and a place to sleep. And oh my God, oh my God, exactly. Oh my God. And and that's completely wrong. And and so we are. This is the great secret. To be honest with you, this is the secret of alchemy. This is the great secret. We are dreaming. And you can you have the ability to lucidly dream. All you have to do is wake up in the dream. And when you wake up, you will see that you can become anything you want to be. We can make any world we want. And the dark sorcerers that run this world absolutely do not want you to know this. They're doing it to us, though. We're living Steven Spielberg's dreams. We're living... The Rothschilds' dreams. We're living, who knows? They're, we're living their dreams, though. And and it's time for us to wake up, get out of their dream, and dream our own dream, but not be an idiot and say, oh, I'm going to dream to be, you know, uh, I have uh, 10,000 sex acts in the next five years or something. That is not what you want. What you want is you want to set on a dream that's maturely divined. Right. And I think that is, by the way, to even be able to say any of this in public is almost uh, unbelievable because you couldn't even say this a few years ago, you know, let alone have anyone believe what you were saying. We didn't even know what lucid dreaming was 20 years ago. So these things are, the, the state space that we're in is rapidly changing. And as this world reaches a crisis, even worse than the one we're in, we're going to be the only ones that have the answers. And our answers are simple and, 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 and they're not complex. They're easy to understand. You know, wish for something simple. Wish for that which you can really achieve. Um, don't don't go overboard. Forget money and sex and power. Don't wish for that. That is not what you want. You will be nothing but unhappy. And uh, when when the world finally decides to lucidly dream a new collective dream, then the powers that be will be hightailing it out of here. And by the way, uh, Jay, there's no absolutely no censorship on this show. So if you want to say whatever you need to say, feel free. And uh, let me tell you, b- before we get to the polished diamond stage or graduation stage, if you will, there's the concept of the life review. What is it? Please explain. Yeah, well, people that have had NDEs or near-death experiences all report the same event occurring right after they die um, when Stanislav Grof has gone into this with his books really well. And this is called the, the Past Life Review, and this is a, a, a place where you actually run through your entire life, frequently backwards from the moment of death, uh, and, and you relive your entire life, uh, like watching a movie. And uh, what's interesting about this, though, apparently, is you not only live your life, but you live the lives of the people that you affected. So, you know, um, if you if you did something bad to somebody and you hurt them terribly, I've got really bad news for you. When you die, you're going to go through what you put those people through. But conversely. All the things that you did that were good, you're also going to live through that. So the point is that to not hurt anyone 
and to get as good karma going as you can so that your past life review is not a frightening, embarrassing situation, which I'm afraid it's going to be for a lot of people on Earth, including me, who did things to people that I shouldn't have done when I was young, as we all do. And uh, so, you know, the rich guy that, you know, lost all of his children and got five different wives and went out on, on all of them, and he's going to have one really bad life review, okay? And you don't want to have a bad life review. Uh, so if you're, if you're really, really worried about any of this, and I don't want to scare you, you have the power right now to change your life review. Change it now. You know, when you're, when you're at the store, you know, take a moment to say hi to the checker and, 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 and look at her or him and realize that they're a divine being and, and everywhere. And when someone, you know, yells at you or gives you the finger, you know, or something, don't, don't do it back to them. Be asymmetrical. Just say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, uh, I will frequently, when someone yells at me or gives me the finger or something, I will open up the window and say, don't worry, I love you still. You know, and, and a lot of times it pisses them off even more, but, um, you know, because they think I'm gay or something. But uh, it's just that it's just what you have to do. And, and once you understand that <laughs> there's no way you're going to get away from this, uh, you need you need to change. You need to change right now. And there's going to be a lot of people making their connection with the future very soon here. And you know, I, I don't want them to be the listeners of this program if possible. But uh, there's going to be a lot of people checking out because the reality is about to be completely tweaked. And when that happens, it's going to get really strange. And at the end of this show, I have a, an example of somebody who did something for in a, in a grocery store, made such a big difference, but I'll leave that till the end. But the concept of live review is so powerful, Jay, not, not only for what it is, but imagine how many people are listening to us right now around the world who had no idea of this concept and, and now how they can, like Professor John Searle says, stop, think, act in a different way because they are aware of this concept. Well, they should be aware, and, and uh, you know, it's like this. If you don't believe this, you're going to be in for a big, big surprise. So it's better to believe it, actually, even if you have some qualms about the belief, because when it comes, and by the way, it may just be some kind of biotechnical thing that the body rewinds itself at the end of life. So this may not be based on woo-woo. It might be based on some kind of natural biologic state, So, which I actually believe. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's very little room, wiggle room, for uh, uh, being a skeptic on this uh, because you're all going to die, and uh, there's no way around that. It's part of life. And uh, so, you know, don't, don't take any chances. Start now, now. And, and it's tough. It's really tough to, to be nice to people all the time and to not get angry about stupidity and, and people who are reckless driving and, you know, all the things that go on in life. So, you know, just take that moment. And, uh, and there's something about the sincerity of the whole thing which goes beyond the words. And when you take that moment to, you know, really be sincerely grateful and nice to your fellow human beings, they feel it, you know. It's like in 
avatar when they say I see you you know when they're greeting each other it's, it's exactly right you, when you can really see people when you see them for what they are it's it's a heartbreak and uh, the concept of oneness yeah and it's a heart the heartbreak is in the fact that they're that they're all falling into the illusion of, of this individuation there is individuation I'm not saying there isn't but I'm saying that that's just like the foam on the sea the foam is individuated from the sea at the moment that it becomes foam but it's eventually subsumed back into the ocean as you will be subsumed back into the ocean of consciousness there's no way out of this you are the people you hurt you are the people you help and so why not just help them and just save the hurt part because believe me there's enough hurt going around that's a great metaphor and we have to take a break but before i want to ask you a question and i'll take your answer on the other side in your latest film daniel brinkley talks about how the government has investigated near-death experiences but they refused to tell us what they have found why? And I'll get your answer on the other side. Jay, how do we get in touch with your great work? Uh, go to uh, my own website, which has all my goofy articles, which um, you'll have endless amounts of entertaining moments reading. Uh, jwidener.com, J-A-Y-W-E-I-D is in David, and is in Nancy, E-R.com. And you can check out our films and our mystery school at sacredmysteries.com. And... Uh, first time announcing it. Um, we have uploaded around a hundred videos already on Sacred Mysteries TV, our YouTube channel, with all sorts of great interviews of Stanislav Croft and Greg Braden and a lot of people. And um, so uh, go there, and we're going to have hundreds more coming out, all for free. So it's all part of this consciousness raising thing that's going to happen here. And speaking of uplifting and raising our consciousness, we're going to be talking about 2012, the Vril, so much coming ahead. We're here with Jay Whitener. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Cliff High, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.